Welcome back to the Snow Farms podcast episode. I don't even know what number we're on. <laughs> I think it's 17 or 18. We'll have to go. Like that. We'll fix it in post. <laughs> Except there is no post. Uh, this is the start of season two because we had a three week break because Russ got promoted. Woo woo. <laughs> He's my co-host who's looking over at me. The top of his reader's like, lady, just keep going. You're doing great. Today is Friday, November November 18th. 18th. Today we are going to be talking to you about... Getting ready for animals. So you've, you've gone down this road. You probably, you may already have some chickens, but we're going to assume that you don't have any. You may have started a garden, you may not have, but you're thinking about getting your first animals. And whether that's rabbits, chickens, goats, ducks, pigs, geese, cows. What am I missing? I'm missing. (laughs) Folks frown when you eat eat the llamas. (laughs) I'm forgetting an animal. But regardless, we'll get back to it, I'm sure. So... When you're thinking about getting the animals, there's a, a list or a thought process to go to. Um, and some of the stuff's going to be obvious. First is how do you contain the animal? So you can do everything if you're in a suburban home. You can have a full quail setup or rabbit setup in your garage. No smell, no sound. And get a ton of meat and eggs that way. But for backyard gardens it becomes a little bit more, the big thing is predators and how do you predator proof your animals? Because you don't want to have like our chicken grace in Idaho that sat just absolutely still while all of her friends were being murdered and was traumatized and was never the same after that night. Neither was I. (laughs) But Andrea had a revenge when she murdered that raccoon. It's not murder if it's just, I guess. She uh, killed the raccoon in the middle of the night with no glasses, no light. She just saw something moving. Could have been a baby. Could have been a toddler out there that escaped its bed. But it wasn't. It was the raccoon that took out Grace's people. One shot, one kill. I've never heard the end of it. You're going to hear the story a lot because I hear it a lot. Because it was awesome. It was. So it's not just going to be a coop. It's going to be how do you get the animals back in? How do you get them out? Uh, fences are the beginning and then it's gates for big animals. I guess we can start with chickens. Actually, it starts with when you go to pick up the animal, how are you going to contain the animal when you pick up? Yeah. Remember to take boxes. We've, we've kind of settled on for most of our animals, a dog, a A wing and a bird that, that helps too, because some, there's always something around. You can get a couple of those Costco uh, two sided boxes put them together, put some tape over it and yeah. And then, uh, so I've brought pigs home in the Prius and I've brought home goats in the back of the Sequoia, back of the Sequoia. Uh, the first pair of belty heifers that I bought that we still have, I Brought them those home in the back of a construction trailer that I jerry-rigged a couple of uh, cattle panels over the top of. And they were real little. 
that the, that uh, trailer is three feet tall on the sides. Their heads were brushing the cattle panels, but they're not. The Belties are not big jumpers. They're pretty chill. Uh, so you can be, and this is the thing. When we first started out, we did not have a ton of equipment. We didn't have a ton of trailers. So now we've got all kinds of stock trailers, cattle trailers. But you can be very creative getting your livestock. You can all, you, and you're gonna as you meet people in this. I, I loaned a trailer out. To, uh, oh, I can't. Remember, the firefighter and his wife that were over by Whit, Lake Whitney. Uh, you're gonna meet people. You're gonna make friends. And one of the great things when I do, when we were borrowing, because I was borrowing George's trailer for a while, and I would just give him 50 bucks every time because it sounds kind of high for borrowing a trailer for a couple hours. But I always made sure it was cleaned out. I made sure the tires were up to pressure. I would try and make that every time I brought it back to him, it would be a little bit better and I would give him cash. He was super, super happy anytime I want to borrow the trailer. He never expected anything, but it, it's one of those things that if it's 20 bucks and you clean it up, folks are going to be much more willing to help share. If you're a horrible person and you borrow something and you bring it back in worse shape, it's just like the folks that don't return their, their grocery carts. There's a special place in hell for you. <laughs> and I am, I am a judger. So in whether it's a, um, a six pack of beer or a cake or whatever, eggs, some meat when you bring it back, whatever you have. It doesn't have to be cash, especially when you're strapped and poor early on. You can be creative on that stuff. But infrastructure really matters. Um, one of the more exciting things I've had happen is we had a little miniature Hereford steer that uh, one of my best friend's sons was down helping me. We were taking the butcher over in Meridian, Texas. And we look look out the back or the mirror, rearview mirror, and this uh, imagine a miniature. They're like a dwarf. And you know how dwarfs are just funny. You can't say that, Andrea. Okay, little people are just hilarious. Is that okay? Okay. So many cows are like that. Their legs are just real short, and they're kind of goofy looking. But this little guy is like. Not today, Isis. I know where this trailer ride ends. I look back, and he's got his two stubby little front legs hanging over the side of the trailer. I'm doing 65 miles an hour on a two-lane road in Texas. And it's it's terrifying because I'm thinking all the work and all the, the money that we put in this animal, and he is going to th fling himself in front of a semi and just make himself instant hamburger instead of having a long, drawn-out process where he hangs in a freezer and people go in there and beat him up for tender. She's never seen Rocky either, folks. It's a tragedy. So, and that that was, I stopped, and there was a little feed store in, that was Lake Whitney as well. And they were super sweet in there. They helped me put, I bought a cattle panel from them. This was a, a new trailer that was used that I bought from uh, one of my buddies at work. His mom was married to a rancher, and he passed away, and they were old. And it was a $700 trailer. It didn't have a top on it. So, or we, we did have a top. We'd taken it off and we bought the rabbit hush, but that's another story for another day. <laughs> and I'm like, ah, oh, these little mini cows, it's, it's five feet tall. How in the world is something that's three feet? By golly, he was trying to get out. So, and these are just lessons you'll learn with cattle. Always, always, always have a top on your trailer because you never know. We've had two now because we're gray 
in the covered trailer tried to, she was hanging over the middle divider. She was completely cray cray. But uh, so those things matter and how you're going to get them there, how you're going to get them home. You can be creative. You want to make it as stress-free for the animals you can. But sometimes the animals just, they don't, they don't understand being in a trailer or being in a carton. The goats were super content in the back. She was completely, she didn't bleat. She didn't, you know, she wasn't screaming. She didn't go crazy. You know, the little baby goats. We, I brought them home in a dog Great. carrier. That's how bigger dogs are. They're the same size as the goats. Um, so the next thing is after your fencing and your gates to get in and out, these things have to hold. So imagine if your animal jumps up on it, because the goats love to just jump on everything and lean on everything and rock. Goats are much harder on, on fences and hardware than cattle are, especially with cows. Once you put a little bit of hot, hot wire around, they won't touch any wire fences at all. So, but goats are like hot wire. You, you mean the goat juice from that little metal piece of, it's great. That's how I start my day. Woo! They do. My goats don't do that. They just follow me wherever I go. They're perfect little angels. They're impervious. They are just, you can see them when, when it hits them, the hot wire, they just jerk. And they keep eating. You can see them kind of twitch a little bit and then it goes off and they're like, oh, this is great. Oh, I'm still eating. It doesn't make a lick of sense. They do not equate pain. Hot wire for goats, anyone tells you that's going to hold, not been our experience. Water. So the next thing is, how are you getting water? How far from water points are your corrals, chicken coops, whatever it is? How far away is water? One of the things that we've we've done that I, I'm very, I think was a great, it, it, it wasn't done this way on purpose, but we've got a couple of 2,500-gallon uh, water tanks. And they're out by the greenhouse because they were for the greenhouse, but now all of a sudden it's this water point for the rest of the animals. There's pretty good head pressure on there. And the other thing is since there's such a big mass of water and IBC totes are this way to a smaller extent, but those black tanks that they take a ton of solar gain during the day in the winter. And so they haven't, they haven't froze so far this year. They have the hose is frozen. Not so I have to wait yeah. in the afternoon to water. Anything. Yeah. Um, and I think if you would undo that hose every night, it would probably, and drain it, you'd probably be able to do it in the morning. She's like, or I could just do it in the afternoon, Russell, and go about my life. That's fair. That's fair. So the next thing is, just like with everything on the, and whether it's preparedness or survivalism or modern homesteading, neo-pioneering, however you, you whichever Thing you're adjacent to or an ally of why do you look at me like that sometimes it hurts my feelings but i digress as my wife just told me two is one and one is none you really need a to be thoughtful and have a second place that you can put the, these animals one to separate animals because you don't know when they're going to start fighting for birth for all these different things but if you have a second pin and something goes wrong whether it's they've dug a hole, water's leaked in, it rained too much, it's too dry, whatever it is, having a second option on where to put your animals 
is a really, really great asset to have. The next thing, just taking a step back, this is about being a good neighbor, which I really worry about. Andrea, she doesn't care. She's like, <laughs> F them people. But uh, once again, I like talking for her. But uh, smell abatement. If you're doing things right, you shouldn't have smell. If, you're, if your pins are getting a ton of sun. Now the pigs, if uh, we've done chips, we've done just about everything, we've done dirt. There's just going to be that unique lovely pig smell which is the worst and the nice thing about the pigs if you're doing conventional pigs you're going to have them for six months and and it's over and as soon as the pigs are gone in a really short period of time everything breaks down in the sun for the chickens i've never smelled any problems with their chickens or the ducks or the geese or the turkeys no the only problem with them is you have to cover any other food like the goat hay, you have to cover it because they'll just sit, sit on, on it, yeah, and, and fertilize it for you. The ca cattle, unless you keep them, unless you're running a feedlot, cow smell never smell it. And when you do smell uh, cow manure, it's not an offensive smell at all. It smells like money, makes me happy. The big thing about regenerative farming with cattle is when you're mob grazing you want to evenly distribute that manure all over your place. And the goats are another thing. There is no smell with goats at all. So those are things, but just being a good neighbor and, and being thoughtful about, because compost piles don't smell. So if you have extra, whatever it is, throw it in your compost pile, put a little grass, dirt, whatever you have over the top and, and be a good neighbor on that side. Um, the next thing, when you pick your animals up, if, if they're going to be meat animals, you need to be thinking about butcher dates immediately. The biggest mistake I made early on was I would call a couple, three months out thinking that, or even a month out thinking I could get a quick date. And every once in a while I could, because they'd have one open spot when we were small, they can get you in. But as things tightened, especially post COVID, it got really, really hard to get dates. And it's still right now, we're booking everything a year out. For cows and pigs, since we don't yet butcher our own animals on site. Yeah, and and the, the cattle, I want to do it, but I'm also realist about just how big breaking down a cow is. And when you're looking at right now, our, our uh, Angus South Pole crosses, the two bulls we took the butcher recently, they were both right at 1,000 pounds in 18, 19 months. So that's 1,000 pounds. When you break the animal down, a hindquarter is going to be 150 pounds when you're breaking that down. And we can hoist that, but to once you, whether you pull off the shoulder or you're pulling off the hindquarters, it's just a big piece of meat to get onto a table. Once you get on the table, you can slide around. It's not a big deal, but it's, it's from the animal breaking it down onto the table and it's fine with the pigs. And, and that's because for me, at least, and Andrew, you can tell me how you feel. I like carnitas, so I'll have some roast cut up from the pigs. We love bacon. We haven't made our own bacon, so I need to buy a pork belly and, and try that a couple of times. And then everything else, this last pig, I kept the short ribs just because there's nothing else you can really do. And I'm going to give those some buddies, let them barbecue, and me bask in that. I'll have a, you know, a couple bites. That's just take care of your friends. And then everything else was sausage. 
Um, so I think we're, we're going to get 70, 80 pounds, maybe a hundred pounds of sausage out of mama pig. And that's something we can do at home. I already have the grinder. I already have the chub bags. And that's something I'm really excited for. So in the pig, especially the kunikuni, they're so much more manageable. And to break down and, and to process a 150-pound pig versus a 1,000-pound cow, it's just it's just scale there. So butcher dates. If you're going to do it yourself, like Andrea said, tools. What tools do you need? You need, you need to know how to sharpen a knife. There are some great knives out there. They're purpose-built knives for skinning, purpose-built knives for deboning. Those things matter. You don't have to go buck wild. Learn how to sharpen your knives. I've got a, I'll have to put in the, I'll have to do a review on it sometime. It's an apex knife sharpening kit. That is, I bought it as a side hustle and I've used it quite a bit at work and here at home. It is, you can put a really great edge really quickly on a knife. So that's something to think about having sharp knives. It, it just makes a world of difference when you're breaking the animal down. Once you have the animal skinned and gutted. And the big thing is, if you haven't gutted an animal, that's really the hardest, not hardest, it is the most nerve-wracking part. And whether that's with the chickens or the rabbits or the pigs, making sure you don't open up the entrails and get down the meat is a big deal. And if you take your time, and then cutting around the anus is the other part that's kind of nerve-wracking the first couple of times you do it. Uh, the, the beautiful thing is you can teach yourself how to butcher an animal, whether it's a squirrel or a rabbit, every other mammal you're going to break down is going to be the same. It's just going to be bigger. So going from a rabbit to a, a pig is not a big leap. And Andrea, you, you butchered rabbits with me. And I think it's one of those things that once you do, it's not that many, two or three, you can figure out everything again if you have to go do it by yourself. The chickens, every time I have to do, I have to go watch a video for a few seconds, just to remind myself of the process. I think probably two or three more times of doing our own processing, I'll have that down. It's still on the chicken processing. It still just takes so long. And I've got to get faster at that because I watched Joel Salton's kid break down a chicken under 60 seconds. I'm like, good gravy. I'm over here talking to the chicken, making love to it. Like... <laughs> Asking, making sure I have consent before I pull out the innards. But those are things you're only going to get better with real practice. There's only so many, there are only so many YouTube videos and books you can read about any of this stuff before you just have to go put it in practice, learn from your mistakes and go on. Big thing is you can have some, if you can have somebody who's done it quite a bit to mentor you early on and save you that time and, and teach these lessons, that's always fantastic. Um, so then after you've got the, the animal broken down, skinned, it's gutted. The next thing is going to be, how are you going to store the animal? So I have some things here. We have a vacuum sealer and, and this is only our second one. And we've done quite a bit of animals using that thing. It's, it's kind of expensive. I think the next one we get will be a high dollar commercial job, which is, oh, they're anywhere from 400 to $800. You, you can spend as much money on that stuff as you want, but, uh, the vacuum sealer, nice thing about that is freezer burn. Uh, and then butcher paper. There's a reason that most, if not all butcher shops still offer that as a, uh, a way to have your meat. It does a really good job of protecting the meat. It, it doesn't, it, the bones in 
beef and pork that are sharp don't break through butcher paper like they will vacuum sealed. So, and butchered paper is inexpensive and it's fast. Once you get start to do it, you, you're going to learn those folds, put some acid tape on it, throw it in the freezer, and it's easy to write on. That's one of the things with vacuum sealing. It's hard to make it big and visible where you can see what's going on. And then the last and, and probably my least favorite are just using Ziploc bags, using the plastic bags, because there's so many things that can go wrong with that. But if you're going to be eating it in the next month or so, who cares? Throw it in Ziploc bags, go about your life. Uh, and then one of the things I bought that we, I, I don't think we've used it yet, it's that sausage maker. No, we haven't used it yet. So I've got, because this has been on our list for a while, but I've got the foot pedal, I've got all the attachments, chub bags, the casing attachments, everything like that. And then I used some a chorizo mix from Amazon. I think it was Old Plantation is a really big one. And it was really good. We're still eating on some of that. Now, here's one of the things for sausage that I can't recommend enough to you is to use the vacuum seal on your sausage. Because all this, we I had chorizo this week that was from Big Creek. We were using them in Mar Marlin, Texas. That had to be three years old. And that chorizo tasted brand new. I, it, it blew my mind. I was expecting some off offness to it. Absolutely none. So that's one of the things it, it is, it's encasing, but then it's vacuum sealed. One of the butchers that we had, uh, the Meridian meat locker in Heiko, Texas. If you're anywhere nearby, that guy is awesome. He rocks. I, I miss him every day. But one of the things I loved about him with the beef is he wrapped everything in Saran wrap first and then he vacuum sealed it. And what that does for you is, and I don't understand why, but the the saran wrap, just the bones did not go through it. And he used a super heavy duty vacuum seal. I I really, really, if you're going to do your own, that would be how I would do it. I think you could probably get 18 months out of your beef that way. It's going to be extra time on the wrapping, but those guys are doing it so fast. and They've got the box set up and that would be what you'd want to do. That's, that really is, from what I've seen, the cream of the crop on the best way to protect it, longest lasting, everything that way. On the sausage making, for us, for pigs, and this is one of the things to think about, it's really hard to compete with retail prices on pork chops, on any kind of pork. Uh, say which one about Big Ag. They do an amazing job of making that really, really affordable to the consumer. Where you can make money, you have something to say? Or break even on things, Andrew? So back to the sausage making, because Andrea is like, why are you talking about sausage so much? And this is what I was about to get to, I promise, is if you're trying to do this where you break even or you make a little bit of money on it, for pigs, sausage making is the one value add that I see that's easy enough that anybody can do with a good mix. And you can sell that sausage for enough to pay for feed and make it worth your time. So that's why, and that's why before you have, a, and you can use a sausage maker on pigs, chickens, cattle, turkeys, anything that you want to make, whether it's a, a burger or a sausage or a jerky, you can, that sausage maker is going to give you the right consistency for that. And with the mix, you just run it through twice as you're adding the mix to the meat, and then you're good to go. So the next thing we're going to talk about is medical care. So before you get the animals, you need to have a basic understanding 
of medical care and what you can and can't do with animals to help them. And sometimes the hard decision is you have to call animals. And that's something I don't think you've ever, you've never done that, huh? No. You just let them die their own horrific, slow death. Usually they just have already died. Right. When you find them. (laughs) Yeah. And, and losing animals is part of this. We try and give them the best life that you can, but between predators and horrific farmyard accidents and geese finding ways to suicide themselves, or chicken gets trapped in the pig thing. Yeah. They can't get out, so they end up getting pneumonia and die. Or being eaten by the pigs. Not mama pig, because she just wanted the she just wanted a buddy. But medical care. So if your pig breaks its leg, are you gonna call the vet and have a five hundred dollar vet bill for an animal that you, you bought a month ago that has no food value? And there's nothing you can do for it. These are the hard choices you have to make in making the farm make sense. But if that pig has just gashed itself, honestly, you probably don't need to call the vet. There are all kinds of things you can do, iodine solutions. If you're really, if it's a small enough pig, your wife can hold it. It's going to sound like it's being absolutely brutalized in the most horrific way possible. And you can stitch that pig up. Um, for the most part, all the animals that we've had, as long as you provide them shelter, food, water, they're they're really, really resilient. But the stitches are one of the big things. Cattle, that's another thing. You will have some gashes get opened up. And whether that's with staples or by sewing it shut or with super glue, there are all these options to you. And then just iodine spray. Or you can find like a goat group. And they'll be able to tell you what's wrong with your bloated goat. Just give her some baking soda. Call it good. And uh, by give her some baking soda, Andrew means force feed a tube into her stomach and then squeeze this the, the whole thing empty. But yeah, the groups, the amount of wisdom that's available to you on the internet. And the big, the big lesson in all those groups is go out, engage, and don't be a jerk. And you get a pretty good uh, idea of your herd and the animals by feeding them day and night, twice a day, every day, because they always need to eat. And, and yeah, I, I completely agree. You're going to have a really good feel for that animal's personality. And when they start to act different, when they start to ask, act off, act on that. Go examine the animal. If they're acting different, if they're... They're not acting the same. Go give them a, a once around. Mess with their hooves. The, with cattle, one of the things about getting cows is to understand they they can't be pets. They're super cute when they're young, especially if you if you have to get a single by itself and you don't have any other cows. That cow, you're going to be its buddy. You don't want, as that cow gets older, one, you're going to get attached to it because it's going to run to you like a big doe-eyed dog. But two... When that thing's 800 pounds and comes sprinting for you, they're not super coordinated animals. And either they'll knock you down, they'll step in your feet. So it's just one of those things. Have boundaries. Have boundaries. Pigs, super cute. The little cooney coonies, we're going to make them as sweet and gentle as we can and make them as, as much as we can. Pets. Conventional pigs, like mama pig, you fall down in there, you are, you are a snack. 
she was never like that. That's she wasn't. She wasn't. Envisioned dying, apparently. So as a kid <laughs> in Arkansas, there are always these old farmers that would just fall down their pig pens and all they found would be their coveralls. And the pigs would have eaten the rest of them. So I am very, very, well, and, and Big Mama that we had in Milford, she was super sweet until we tried to get her on the trailer. And and Daddy Pig, that, that big fella, he was 700 pounds. He was super sweet. But every time I got in that pen to have to do something, I had Andrea out there with a rifle because if I felt, and she's like, I'm probably going to shoot you. I'm like, well, at least I'll die quickly <laughs> and not being eaten from the ankles up by, a, you know, 2,000 pounds of pig. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but so that, that infrastructure, understand where you're going to get them. And then the other thing is having, and this is one of the things Andrea beat me up on after the pigs in Milford. We, we can't have pigs here until you have a way to get them into a trailer. What we it, still don't have that. <laughs> it was great in theory. It was great in theory about the little, and for the Kunikoons, I think it'd be fine. And as we move forward in that, we'll, we'll see, we'll test it out the theories and see if it works. But uh, for, and she was only like 250, maybe 275 pounds. The first time we tried to load her in a trailer had I had, uh, you know, Kyle, our buddy came over when she was 384 pounds or 383 pounds. Had he helped me the first time we would have got her in that day. We could have just grabbed her haunches. And that's the other thing on pigs. We'll talk about that later, about how to load them. We've learned a lot of lessons just this year on hogs, but having not just a way to get the pig from where you're picking it up to your house, but having a place for that, for that animal to be, out of the elements, wind is a big thing here in the south because it's the wind chill, the big drops that happen in the north. I think it's just being out of the elements um, and, and picking animals that are going to do well in your climate. I think if if you're listening to this, everywhere in the country, Belt of Galloway, if you're a small um, landowner, landholder, I, I can't say enough good things about the Belt of Galloway cows. But that's also for a different episode. Oh, thank you, honey. So having them, having them a way to get them, having a way to keep them on your place, walk your fences if you have cows at least once a week, a minimum. Uh, for the longest time, before I fixed all my fences in Milford, I walked them every night when I got home because I was just super paranoid about my cows getting out. So, and then a corral, and we'll talk later on about... Uh, I think we already did a little bit about herding and corrals and, and everything that way. But whether it's a temporary corral, permanent structure, I would go with the temporary first until you know this is how we're going to do it. And this is, this is awesome. It works for us and have it there for four, for a year at a minimum and probably better too. But that's it is how do you get to your place? How do you keep it on your place while you're there? How do you keep it sheltered, rain, elements, predators, and then when it comes time to process, if you're not doing it on a farm, how do you get it off farm? So leaving space for your tractor to get through, leaving space for um, somebody who may not be a great backer of trailers like myself. Um, those are those are the things to think about. Andrea, what have I missed? I know I always dominate uh, these conversations. Sometimes you are unprepared because you scroll right. across the deal of the century like this summer I found rabbits that were exactly what I wanted and I didn't have the cages built. 
so I went and got them anyways. Unfortunately for me, it, uh, the weather went wacky, and I ended up losing three of the four. But then I found some other ones, and but but that spurred us to action. So that's one of those things too. If you have a great deal and it spurs you to action, that's one of the biggest things I I'm guilty of is that paralysis by analysis, and you can overthink things. I know I never overthink things, but other folks may overthink things. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I overthink everything. But, I just go get the rest. right, and then, but that's one of those things that spurred action. But what you don't want to do is lose an animal or end up in the street being turned into a hamburger by a semi, whatever it is. But I, I encourage you to just do. And if it's not something that's going to financially break you and you see a great deal and you've been thinking about it for a while, go figure it out. Um, what else do you have, Andrea? Well, because you can read all of the books and watch all of the YouTube videos, but you do most of your learning by mistakes and by actually and doing. doing. Yeah, absolutely. And every day is an opportunity to learn something new. Every, yeah. <laughs> That's our tagline that Jess got said totally. <laughs> Wait, did I say it wrong? I don't know. I think so. <laughs> every day is an opportunity to learn something new. That's it. Close enough. Okay. Close enough for government work. But thanks for listening. We will, we've got this season, we should be able to get through. And uh, Andrea is, her eyes are telling me that I need to make better notes, better show notes, instead of just rambling on about sausage in an op, in an episode that was about getting ready for animals. I love sausage. Okay. okay. Had chorizo to, to all this week. It was lovely. But uh, thanks again for listening and we'll be back as soon as possible. Did you turn it off? Okay. <laughs> I should have. <laughs> Thank Bye. you. See you. 